This is Teeming with Ideas, the podcast that explores how people at work work together. I'm Carlos Valdez Depena, your host, and I spent decades working with teams as well as researching, writing, and speaking about collaboration. Over the years, I've met some brilliant people who share my passion for collaboration. In Teeming with Ideas, I'll be speaking with these experts so that you can put them to work to make your work life richer and more rewarding. Enjoy. Welcome back to Teeming with Ideas. My guest today is the wonderful Juliana Sareta. Juliana has been leading teams for quite a long time. She's moved on from Mars and is doing other things now. One of those leaders with an instinct for leading a group or teams and always interested in doing the best she can for the team. Team development is something that is just innate to her. Welcome. Thank you, my friend. Why don't we begin by you telling my brilliant listeners a little bit about you? Sure. As my name indicates, uh, Juliana Sareta, I'm of Italian descent, born in Brazil, and have developed my career through different places, literally, geographies started working in procurement, my profession of choice, back in my native Brazil, where I joined Mars and moved around. I was in Argentina for some years and and then moved to the U.S., where I spent most of my career working across different segments, also adding responsibilities along the way. I spent about half of my career in procurement and the other half in integrated end-to-end supply chain. I left Mars a couple of years ago, and I'm now working at Keurig Dr. Pepper, leading a portion of the procurement portfolio for that business since it merged in 2018. You mentioned the segments you worked in. What kinds of products or brands did you have experience with? When I was at Mars, so I started in pet care. That was the largest Mars segment in Latin America. And brands like Pedigree and Whiskas were the bigger ones back in my time. I work in confections with M&M, Snickers, Skittles, those iconic brands when I first moved to the U.S. And then um, I also work at Mars Food with the iconic Uncle Ben's brand. My last assignment with Mars was actually in the coffee business, which was sold at about the time I left the Mars business to Lavazza. And now with Keurig Dr. Pepper, I'm back in coffee and soft drinks. So some big brands. These are things people use and know about. Absolutely, which is a great source of pride, I think. It has been a great source of pride for me and something that I always try to remind people of on how important it is to feel a connection with the brand you represent, that you contribute to. I think it makes the work way more enjoyable when you think that way. Absolutely. You remember the first significant team you led, right? Yeah, and it was in a moment of personal change for me when I relocated from my native Brazil to the neighboring country of Argentina. That's when I moved from individual contributor to team leader. I was transferred there to establish the procurement function for what was at the time a developing business unit for Mars, the Southern Cone. So for many years, Mars handled those countries. I love that name, by the way, the Southern Southern Cone. Cone. Yeah. Can you explain to our listeners what the cone is? Yeah, I think it was just the visual that South America has many different countries in it. And then there's this cone that is Chile, which is a very lengthy country, and Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay. 
and that slice, which is very distinct from big Brazil and also very distinct from the north part of South America. The cone just describes the shape of the... Of those countries, yes. Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay, yeah. <laughs> so there you were. You find yourself in Argentina leading a procurement team, was it? Yeah, because Mars used to serve those markets in the Southern Cone through factories and distribution companies that were somewhat outside of the region. At that point, it was starting to manufacture products in Argentina. It was the entry point to of what became a very established business unit in those countries with multiple factories since being installed there and Mars actually taking charge of the distributions. It was the creation of total business unit for Mars and the procurement function had to be developed. That was my assignment. What was hardest for you? Where did you struggle? So I think what I struggle with is what many people struggle with as they first step into the role of leading versus doing. And it was that very fact of having built some success as an individual contributor, having a certain approach to my work that I knew worked, was successful. And how do I move from doing it all myself or at least believing that it should be done my way? to creating the space for people to do it their way and also realize that in that light, the development opportunity for them. How do you move from doing it yourself or imposing your views to doing work through others and enabling their views? That was, I think, the very first moment of truth for me was to reconcile all that. As adults, we learn by doing. We learned from our successes and we learn from our mistakes. Do you remember one or two particular learning moments from that experience? It wasn't easy. Like it was not like I was cut for it and naturally started leading and making wonderful strides with a team that was following me. It was actually far from it because I was very conflicted in that transition. Also considering personal elements, I was moving to a new country where I didn't know the language. So there's lots of factors as the business of Mars entrusted me with, with that team. And I think the story is I, I inherited a group. There was a group of people doing the work of establishing that factory, which was the very first task. When I got there, the factory was built, was starting to produce, and it was about assessing the talent and taking the agenda forward and establishing policies and creating the frameworks that would sustain the function going forward. And I was coming from a little more mature business unit, which was Mars in Brazil at the time. By no means, it was perfect. It was still a developing market for Mars at the time. So you think you know what good should look like from a performance of a team, and you look at the talent. And I think that was probably one of the first learnings. It's I kept looking at the talent and thinking, it's not exactly what I need, but do I need a star in every seat? Do I need to replace all these people because I don't know if I can and how do I do the work if I don't have anybody to do the work? Do I do it myself? It was very turbulent because the lesson in all of that or perhaps the mistake was that it paralyzed me. I had all this different perspectives of what I thought good should look like, the sheer reality of what I had in, in terms of talent in the seats did you feel the team was just not good enough? Yeah. yeah, I did feel like I didn't have the caliber that I needed. I didn't have enough experience to get to that conclusion quickly and act on it. 
So you talk about a story. Yeah, I sat and contemplated for a little too long. I remember all this convergence of factors from what was going on in my personal life with that move to the expectations the business had of me, to my previous success doing certain things, to what good looked like in my eyes, to the realities of the situation the team I had. And as I contemplated and I kept wondering, is the people, is the process, who do I retain? Who do I replace? A long time went by. And that was where I learned by fire once the results started derailing and all of a sudden I'm forced to action that you got to be way more proficient in assessing those situations, the talent situation, the talent pool early. And you asked, what do you do when you, when you start a team, when you inherit a team? And that is the first thing you have to do is to get a pulse of the talent. As a brand new leader, and again, I've seen people come to me with those questions before, you start hesitating, oh, I could do better here. But if I replace this person, then I have to invest the time on that replacement. And oh, maybe I just muscle along a little longer and I can fill in the gaps myself. And those are all the traps that I think I was a victim of, you know, my own traps and carried on contemplating and muscling along and probably doing more myself than I should have done versus creating my own burning platform to just really make the changes that were necessary. How long went by before you were standing on a burning platform that <laughs> that you hadn't created yourself? <laughs> I think um, a good part of a year, probably nine months, because the results weren't there. We actually were faced with a crisis like right away, <laughs> a massive recall of product. And that also contributed to me being gun shy about enacting some of the changes because I did not have the confidence. I think the other thing that I often advise people on is that you got to seek the support and the collaboration of others that might be bringing the perspectives you need to finally make your move. And I did that at the time, probably later than I should, but everybody was very involved with solving the crisis, right. myself included. So very easy to throw yourself at the crisis of today without thinking about preventing the crisis of tomorrow. So the sense of urgency, the quick diagnostics, and then the sense of urgency on making the changes. And when your gut is not completely clear for you, just seek seek others to help you clarify the view. Others, that would be peers as well as more senior people? Yeah. yeah. When I think about that experience, HR played a great role in advising me. Okay. And people that were very experienced within HR, actually senior leaders in HR, uh, to help me frame the thinking, what were the critical roles, the most critical within the ones I had on my team and how to act on those first and things like that. It just comes from experience. Today, I have an easier time doing this assessments, diagnostics and moving to action, but that's because I've done it a dozen of times by now. Right, right. So the first time is always the hardest. I think that's where I try to help others is right. to accelerate their thinking on acting faster. Sometimes we learn from mistakes. Sometimes we learn from what goes right. Can you think of a team experience that was a peak experience and that taught you something about you and collaboration? The last team I led at Mars was a peak experience for me because the caliber. So again, it starts with that, to have the right caliber of folks in the right seats 
I built, I think, possibly the highest caliber team that I have ever led, which was the supply chain leadership team for a global business, small coffee business at Mars. And we had all the diversity of thought and background that I could ask for. These folks were extremely cognizant of the business needs and how we needed to transform our function, supply chain, in order to support that growth trajectory. So our teamwork became really an enterprise cohort of thinking how we would best connect our agenda in support of the business needs. And it was very intertwined across us as team members and with the business. We transformed results at a pretty rapid pace, even though the business ended up not growing the way we aspired it to think our function exponentially contributed to the profitability of that business. And I looked at my direct reports as advisors. That's interesting. It was really a fantastic collaboration method that we created. I I can't even describe Ed is being intentional, but I think the trick was to create the space, recognizing that this group was highly talented, to create the space for their voices to make their way through the business. And I think the more that space was obvious to them, the more confident they felt. And we had the best discussions, frank, honest, because there is space. And I felt like I was a facilitator, really, which was a great feeling to have. Yeah. So facilitative leadership. Yeah. Was there a person that wasn't up to snuff that you had to act on? And how did that work? That's actually a great catalyst that we're going in that sequence. Because when I realized that there was one particular function, I happened to be procurement within that supply chain that was lacking the caliber. And within 45 days from taking the job, I acted on that function. And even though it took me probably another 90 days to replace the leader of that function. That was where the learning comes back to you and say, there's no sense in waiting because by making a move very swiftly, you send a signal to the organization about the caliber you're looking for or the profile you don't want to be a part of your team. And it pays dividends because naturally the organization steps up not only to help you, which was the case, to help me fill the gap, but also to embrace the the new hire. And the person I hired into that job uh, turned out to be really, really successful at what he did to this day with Lavazza and uh, making great strides. So now I want you to tell me and my brilliant listeners about maybe the worst experience you had. So you've had some years of working with teams somewhere in the middle of your career. Was there a a team experience that you just look back on and the pain or discomfort is still palpable? I have a couple of memories where being a team member was very painful. Yeah. What was that about? It was about not feeling valued and not welcome at the decision table and at the big kids table, which is super important because leadership is about making people feel valued and appreciated and giving them the opportunity to keep learning and growing. So how you pass on the wisdom, how you articulate things in a way they can understand so they can take it and run with it and, and apply their own talents to it and how you recognize that contribution. And I was getting none. I, I, was, I was not getting the appreciation and the support. I was not getting much 
knowledge. I wasn't learning much. And so I think that combination can be fantastic to engage and retain and can be toxic to disengage and lose talent. So if you don't feel you're valued, if you don't feel you're given the opportunity to grow. And feeling like your work matters. Everybody wants to contribute. That's very basic, being respected and acknowledged for what they do. And I think as a leader, you'll be cultivating a successful environment for people to thrive in. What was the wisest thing anybody ever said to you about leading? Do you remember? I mean, you've, you, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you went to some offsite leadership development experiences. You probably went to CCL at some point. Yeah. What do you remember from that realm of leader development that stuck with you over the years? There's this idea, this nugget kernel of an idea that the thing that gives the most value back to any endeavor is the people you leave behind when you're no longer there. It's not necessarily the dollars you saved or the factories you built or even the brands that to help build, it's the people that did it. And you're leaving those people in a position to pass that forward. You're always passing forward a level of wisdom and that it prepares the next generation, the next generation. That's how things perpetuate on how to be the best possible leader. You got to teach. You got to help people charge their path by being both generous with your time, with your knowledge, with your attention, and making people feel like they matter to the enterprise, to the agenda. And I think and those are very basic human traits that go back to respect mm -hmm. and kindness and, and generosity. And I think if you leave from that space, you leave something behind, you leave a mark that people will be able to build from in their own way. It's like you're passing a torch. Right, right, right. And there's your little imprint on it, and that keeps going on and on. That's how I think about it. It's not about anything very lofty or grand. I think that's pretty grand. <laughs> if I'm hearing you right, it's about people. They have become your legacy. That seems like a pretty big deal to me. <laughs> yeah, I th now that you said it, it sounds pretty grand. <laughs> So thanks for putting better words to it. That is, I think, using the word legacy is a good way to sum it up. People, you touch how you help them, how you create mm -hmm. the opportunities for them, how you take risks on them, how you help them move on when it's not the right thing. Ah, how you help them move on when it's not the right thing. So I think what you're saying, how you fire them. With dignity the respect that they deserve. And I think everything I'm saying boils down to very basic human relations elements. I always like to give my brilliant listeners just grounded advice about things they can do to be better at what they do. And I don't think I've talked with any of my guests yet about that time when you have to let somebody go. What does a dignified separation sound like from your mm -hmm. point of view? It's one when you as the leader and the decision maker has put enough deep thought into the consequences, ramifications to the business and to the individual. And when you get to a very solid place of conviction. A conviction that this person isn't the right fit, as we say. Yes. And then how you translate that conviction into a positive thought pattern that this person would be better doing something else, doing something different, would, would be happier, would be more fulfilled. And, and once you gain that appreciation of the situation, I think you can 
extend that appreciation to the person. And sometimes the person might embrace that thought right away and feel a sense of relief. Sometimes might make no connection with that angle and might still be sad, frustrated, upset. Or, But I think you got to do that soul searching yourself and get to that confidence about your decision being the best for the person and for the business. Then project in every possible positive way how this move can enable other things for this person. And if you do it in a genuine way, I think it can really help the person move on. I've reflected on the times when I waited too long and the times when I acted quick. And it's one of the hardest things you ever do as a leader. Yet you got to find a frame of mind to do it the right way. Sorry, Carlos. Has it ever happened that you've had to separate somebody or let somebody go and they've genuinely been grateful for how you handled it? I'm doing the quick reflection on the times I was in that situation. I think I can measure that by the instances in which I remain active part of some of these people's network, professional Uh, network. And I think that's ultimately a reflection of that, where uh, that frame of mind in doing it with dignity and helping the person move on was helpful and beneficial. What's the one piece of advice you would give me as a young, aspiring team leader? That you peel the layers of titles and experiences and uh, levels, and you think about people as, as that. Think about them as human beings, like you are, with needs and fears and aspirations. When you boil it all down to that, it makes your role as a leader a little simpler. Now, I'm reflecting now on what you were saying about that team you led where you felt like they were your advisors. You were the boss, and they were like your cabinet. That had to be because you didn't worry about whose title was what. It was just, we have to get this done. Who's got the good ideas? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. It was the best experience I had in leading that bunch. Juliana Sareta, thank you so much for being a guest on Teaming with Ideas. Uh, To my brilliant listeners, I do hope you've enjoyed this. Take care. Hi, I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teaming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerick, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teeming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. Questions? Click on the Contact Carlos button, and we'll answer promptly. To be interviewed on the Teeming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdapena.com forward slash podcast dash contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening, and keep on teeming with ideas. <laughs>